This is the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Uh, it's a, a tough life uh, being outspoken in an ever state uh, and a uh, victim of female genital mutilation and having your friends killed and they're saying that they're trying to kill you too. She can't travel the world, uh, can't travel anywhere without a security detail. Her name's Ayan Hussi Ali. She was supposed to be coming to New Zealand and speaking, but it got cancelled and I don't really think we've got to the bottom of exactly why. I'll make no assumptions, but Ayan uh, Hussi Ali, I managed to speak with her earlier this year. That interview will be uh, in about, I don't know, 20 minutes' time, around about 9.30 mark. Uh, next up, though, Skeptical Thoughts with Susie Wiles. The most interesting radio show on planet Earth. The Weekend Variety Wireless. On Radio Live. Skeptical Thoughts with Susie Wiles. A public service in many ways, spotting woo-woo scams, hoaxes and bullshit. Uh, how are you, Susie? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Graham? Fabulous. Excellent. Okay. Uh, always like looking through the, um, the Skeptical Thoughts inbox this week. <laughs> now, the Italian government, they're a special sort. Aren't they comedians or something? Television stars, some uh, of them? I have no idea. All I know is that there's a new government um, mm -hmm. and like most of Europe, it's uh, it's it's leaning rather to the right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but this lot, uh, so they're in the news because um, their health minister has removed all 30 members of the Higher Health Council. And the quote is, to open the door to other deserving personalities. Personalities? Yeah, I'm slightly concerned by that word too. Um, so this council is uh, the country's most prominent body of experts who are there to basically advise the government on health policy. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it shouldn't be personalities, it should be experts, <laughs> public health experts. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the, so basically this health minister is a member of the Five Star Movement. So mm -hmm. this is this, um, the, the senior party in the coalition. Yeah. And the thing that worries me is that during the election campaign, um, this group... Uh, promise to overturn a law that has made 10 vaccines mandatory in um, Italy. And so in order to go to preschool and primary school and stuff, children have to have basically a doctor's note to say that they've had this vaccine. And I guess if they haven't had it, you know, what were the reasons why they haven't had it? And so they've, they'd been, um, uh, you know, they'd been, uh, I guess, getting the the, uh, the anti-vaxxer kind of movements um, support and various things. And so they've, they, uh, they've kind of got a bit of an anti good public health uh, stance, or certainly... Um, this history. is quite remarkable, isn't mm. it, for a government of uh, a, a nation like yeah. Italy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so, How so, weird can you get? Yeah, and so actually, so they, they did relax that rule when they came in, mm. um, So, uh, but it caused absolute chaos because none of the schools and stuff were ready for it, and, and then the whole bunch of kids basically stayed off school because they weren't sure, whether, you know, because they were immunocompromised and they weren't sure they were, whether they were going to get exposed to things they shouldn't have. So it was like absolute chaos. And so the they, the the government said, okay, we'll kind of let that be. But I wonder what's going to happen now that basically they've lost all their expertise um, in public health because they've <laughs> because they've um, let this group down. The the When re um, reading around the story, though, I found another really interesting thing, which is that this party also has links to a scam um, stem cell treatment, uh, which was really popular in Italy called Stamina, um, which was some psychologist who claimed that he could turn stem cells into kind of nerve cells and other cells. Um, and he... Um, 
could then cure kind of neurological diseases and all sorts. Uh, and it turns out that was complete, well, we know it's it complete bollocks. There was nothing to it. But what was really interesting is that the current um, Italian prime minister, he, uh, he was a lawyer and he represented the um, family of one of the children who wanted to be able to access this treatment with government money. Uh -huh. um, and so at that time, this was in 2013, um, he basically, you know, um, seems to have been involved in essentially getting the government of the time to pledge several million, several million dollars in support of this treatment to do some trials. And loads of people um, kind of signed up. And then they were basically halted and the guy was um, investigated for fraud, the the psychologist, yeah. not the current prime minister. Um, so they, they have this history of woo and bad judgment is this, this, is it like appear... this is like Rasputin <laughs> and the Romanovs, isn't it? And it would appear they have now excised that bad judgment yet again. Um, and who knows what's going to happen to Italy's kind of public health services if um, mm. and and general kind of yeah the stuff that those experts are there to advise on if it if it turns <laughs> if it turns out to be you know the next bunch of 30 people are going to be yeah. personalities. Yeah. <laughs> Who are they going to be? I dread to think David Avocado Wolf. <laughs> right. Or maybe, maybe, this is, a, this is a nice segue to our next one, Vanny Harry, the food babe. We'll get onto the food babe <laughs> shortly, but just the thing about Italy and their attitude to science. Do you recall as that devastating earthquake, lots of people yes. died? Yes. And the geologists were jailed. Yes. As if the geologists... Uh, we're at fault. Because they, uh, yeah, they made some claims. Well, I guess they were pushed into a corner, right, as to, you know, would this happen again type thing, and I think they, yeah. They had to, they were they forced to... They were forced to, to say something, and what they said then was, it. I think they said there was a, like, there's a low chance of there being an earthquake, yeah. and then there was a really big one. And so, yeah, they got jailed. But, but you right, can yes. have a low chance of an earthquake and still, and have, it still have it happen. Absolutely. Like, yeah. What are the chances of the earth being hit by a meteorite, a sizable mm. one right now, mm. not very high no, at all? But it could still happen. Could be coming from out of the, from the sun. We wouldn't see it coming. Yeah. It could happen. Yes, you're right. So, but um, these poor people, they are they're in the slammer. It's not a good for being place to good be scientists. Mm. Did they not get released in the end? I don't know. I don't remember. They did go to the slammer. They did, but I think they... Oh, I can't remember what happened to them now. Yeah. And... You remember when Albania got rid of communism and Hoja? Because uh, they were one of the most isolated Stalinist outfits. And they, they immediately went economically completely under because they invested in a pyramid scheme. It was a complete scam. A whole country. Invested in a pyramid scheme. I think Gough Whitlam did that in 1972 <laughs> as well. Um, and that's how he ended up getting the boot from the Governor-General. Anyway, all right. Yes, the food babe could certainly be on <laughs> Italy's health advisory board because she's a personality. <laughs> she certainly is. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, at the moment in the US, the, the CDC, the Centers for Centre for Disease Control is investigating an outbreak of E. coli. So this is a food poisoning bacteria um, and in this case it's related to eating romaine lettuce. Um, so the outbreak started in October and it's been... Romaine like, is a type of lettuce? Yes, romaine. Oh, not, the, not, 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 the, not leaving the UK not type the, of lettuce. Not the Brexit, <laughs> not the Brexit lettuce. 
So there's at least kind of 50 people ill. It's spread over 15 states. Um, and the Kyline question is uh, it's one that's quite close to my heart because it's one that I've um, done some research on. So it's it's a pretty dangerous form. It's called um, EHEC enterohemorrhagic E. coli oh. because it can produce this really nasty toxin that um, basically kills uh, all sorts of cells and can mm. lead to kidney um, failure. Um, and it's what's really interesting about this bacteria is that it can uh, get... It, it has this really cool system for attaching to human cells. So it can basically in your gut it stays outside of the human cell like um but injects loads of proteins inside of it to make it make ha- diarrhea happen and all sorts of things uh-huh. um, and then it uses these same um ways to attach to actually to attach to plant cells and it specifically targets the cells that the plant uses for gas exchange these stomata so it can basically get inside of a leaf oh. there was relevance I, I was getting to my point um so the point being that you even if you wash your lettuce and other leafy vegetables if the if this particular form of E. coli has already got inside, that doesn't help very uh, much. Anyway, so the reason I bring up Vanny Harry... Why aren't because, we all dead then well, from it's eating not, it? It's not always inside them. So oh. it's a, it's not... This this form is not... Um, it's not really common. Um, there are other forms of E. coli. Mm. Um, but if this one does, you know, it, it can get inside and so this can be a problem and this might be one of the reasons how this, this particular outbreak is happening. Anyway, mm-hmm. so in the midst of this outbreak... When there's obviously a need for people to explain what's going on and you would kind of hope that the news would ask the experts what was going on, CNN decided to talk to the food babe. I know, this is Bani just... Harry. Just just to be clear, so the food babe is a blogger who has made her career out of harassing companies uh, into removing perfectly safe things from their foods because she doesn't like the sound of them. Yeah, she's so got chemical phobia. She totally has. So um, one of them was uh, Subway had to get of, rid of a, a compound called um, azodicarbonamide, God, nearly there, uh, which yeah. is used to maintain bread's foaminess. Um, and she called it like eating a yoga mat. So maybe this is a chemical that's also found in yoga mats. Um, But uh, so she gets this idea like, oh, my God, there's this chemical. And then even when it's perfectly safe and used for a particular reason, she'll think campaigning into that company to remove it. So this person is who CNN decided should talk about E. coli in the midst of an outbreak. Oh, and imagine how excited she must have been when she got the call. So CNN, oh, hi, it's CNN here. We'd like to get your advice. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, here she is. Vani Hari is better known as the Food Babes and joins me now. Vani, you study where our food comes from quite a bit. So how does an outbreak like this happen? <laughs> Hang on. Th- that was good, wasn't it? You study where, where food, food comes, comes from. from quite a bit. <laughs> Jesus. That's, how do you spell that degree? You know, it is a really serious situation, especially when someone like the CDC comes out and says, throw away your romaine lettuce, do not eat it. And there are so many ingredients in the food supply that harm Americans every single day. But when the CDC comes out with a recommendation like this, you wanna take it seriously. And unfortunately, lettuce, anything that's raw, unfortunately cannot be washed off and you cannot wash off E. coli. E. coli is presented on lettuce and other raw fruits and vegetables by either contaminated soil, you know, E. coli is actually found in animal intestines, so it comes through, you know, manure or some type of sewage sludge that gets into the factory farm where this lettuce is being grown, or it can happen with the bird just simply dropping 
poop on lettuce and it's somehow you know being contaminated and then what is the worst part of the situation is that we do not have a supply chain check and balance in mm. place once your romaine is grown and harvested, it, it has so many different touch points of contamination possible. You know, that romaine is taken to one factory to get washed, then another factory to get bagged and put into different bags of lettuces and then combined with other kinds of lettuce. So there's so many different points of contamination that can happen. And if we don't know where our food is coming from, we can't really trust it. And so that's why when I go out and I buy romaine lettuce or any type of lettuce, I avoid the bagged and boxed lettuces and I really go for like the whole head of lettuce. All right. That's uh, a little like, I suppose, if we're talking about uh, the Reserve Bank altering the interest rate. Should we get Brett from MasterChef <laughs> to comment? Anyway, what are you, have so, you got so, to say about what she's had to say? So she's she's not... It's like there's kind of like there's, an, there's grains of truth in there. There's like little bits of, yeah, okay, that's more or less right, but not quite. Mm. But her her big, what, what her, um, you know, the culmination of her interview is basically the advice is buy whole heads of lettuce, not the bagged stuff, because there's far more places, there's far more opportunities for contamination to happen in the bagged stuff. That is true, but actually... We don't know where this, in this case, where the contamination has come from. So it could easily have come from from the growing of the lettuce. And so what the CDC is saying, like the real advice from the experts, is we have traced this to lettuce from California. Do not eat any lettuce from California. If you have any lettuce from California, throw it away. Don't just because it's a head of lettuce. You know, it's like no, no, that's actually the completely wrong advice and then she starts talking about antibiotics and and uh and again here you know like they're using food and stuff and here like i agree with the stuff but it's actually completely irrelevant to the story that like to this particular story and it kind of muddies the water because actually in this case you know because she's sort of talking about she's like linking the the use of antibiotics to the building of this you know this e coli superbug and actually this one this has got nothing to do with antibiotics in fact you don't even treat it with antibiotics because it's when this bacteria die that they produce their toxin and so it's oh. like so she sort of has this little bit of knowledge and it's really dangerous when she's applying this what she does have which is not the not the full stuff in right. the case when you actually need proper experts to say this is what we're trying to do to keep people safe. She is a classic case of really being inflammatory around things that just sound... Mm. Um, ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's that, yeah. Uh, the yuck factor. And she's using... I mean, she's definitely using this as her, you know, to push her... Um, we need to know who's doing what and everything, which again is a you know, knowing what the food process is, labelling everything appropriately is yeah. not a bad idea, but... Yeah, all right. I want to hear her qualifications again as she's announced on CN frickin' in. <laughs> Manny Hari is better known as the Food Babes and joins me now. Vani, you study where our food comes from quite a bit, so... <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite bacteria? Oh, that's like asking a parent what their favourite child is. Yeah, I thought it might be. Um... Oh, I'm, I'm torn between photorepsis... Because if you don't know, listeners, it's what Susie does for a day job. <laughs> Breeds bacteria and, just, and puts, puts them on leads. It's like <laughs> a, a flea circus. Um, photoraptus luminescence, which oh. is both glows, cause that, which is nothing that I love, but it's also really 
uh, like really deadly, but not to humans. So it basically lives inside of a uh, of a little microscopic worm, and they and this microscopic worm buries its way into insect larvae, and then it vomits the bacteria up, and then the bacteria produces toxins, and then it makes the larvae die, and then the, and then the bacteria glow, and then the larvae glow in the dark. Far out, cool. Yeah, that must be my favorite. All right, <laughs> I had a really good bacteria once because this show it's about me. Um, <laughs> And oh look, I might as well tell the story because not long left to do it. Um, beta hemolytic streptococcus. Oh, okay. I got a dose of that. I felt it felt fluey. Mhm. And then other things happened. I felt better, but it turned into something very much like smallpox without the awful without feeling, feeling really, without the smallpox without, without feeling dying. really sick without dying because every piece of my skin turned into a blister oh scalded skin syndrome and my doctor was so stoked yeah that's quite exciting he said oh can you come in i would need to take photographs and i did an entire just like a lizard i sloughed yeah and it all came off. There was a foot-shaped skin thing. Oh, I should have kept so it. so gross. I peeled. Everything peeled off. Oh, my God. He was just so happy, though. Mm. Yeah. A colleague of mine uh, who's an infectious diseases doctor, her daughter had chickenpox and then got a, got a basically a bacterial infection at the end of that, some kind of strep, and, and had pretty much the same thing, only she was very little and ended up being Ooh. in intensive care while she sloughed her skin and, and tried to protect her from other infections. She was very sick. But yes, aren't they amazing? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sorry, it's turned into <laughs> microbiology hour, isn't it? Why not? <laughs> okay, now Sleep Drops, their crowdfunding campaign. Yeah, so we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, so Sleep Drops trying to raise $2 million so they can go international. Um, they're the ones that advertise a lot. They um, they make these supposed sort of sleep um, mm -hmm. uh, things. You can get ones if you're a man. You get ones if you're a woman. You get one if you're a kid. You can get a different one if you've got menopause. Um, they're basically different plant extracts, some homeopathic remedies, which basically says all you need to know about sleep drops. Um, anyway, so, yeah, they were crowdfunding. Um, they had raised, well, in fact, they've now raised seven hundred and eighty-four thousand dollars from three hundred eighty-three people. But their campaign was stopped um, part way through after it came to light that some of the information being presented on the on the website um, was potentially misleading. So apparently, the Financial Markets Authority and the Commerce Commission are um, looking into com some complaints because it's uh, the balance sheets were not correct. So their liability said they were one hundred eighty-four thousand dollars. Mm. Uh, and instead it was over $200,000. So it's not a huge mistake. But anyway, they're, um, so yeah, they're kind of um, not the sort of things you want to be making mistakes on your balance sheet no. if you're about to go out for investment, uh, even if you're doing it through the crowdfunding route, how they would say, especially if you're doing it through the crowdfunding route. So it was kind of interesting that... Well, you need a calculator and get it right. Anyway, um, it was so it was interesting to see that partway through the campaign, Pledge Me basically put a little thing saying that we're not accepting any more pledges until this looks into. The campaign is now over, so oh. I, I'm not sure actually when that happened, um, but nothing more is up there. So I don't know whether everyone who's pledged, are they going to... 
are they going to get the opportunity to go, actually, I'm not sure about this, given that they have books for Oh, right. Um, once you're we in, see, you're in. Well, you? yeah. Or we'll, I mean, we'll guess we'll see what the Financial Markets Authority and the Commerce Commission do. But right, right. Interesting. It's like if you buy a ticket for a gig and that gets cancelled, do I get my money back sort mm. of thing? Yeah. Mm. All right. Now, nice piece on Radio New Zealand, the state network. Yeah. On the secular education network, they don't want religious proselytising, that is preaching, in schools. In schools, yeah. Um, so actually we have no audio for this because while it's on RNZ, um, it's not an audio thing. It's just a long piece um, interview. And, and it's just really nice. They've So um, the law as it stands at the moment is that schools can opt to shut for 20 hours a year so that volunteers can come in and basically run Bible classes. And um, it's an opt-out system. So if a school, and it's up to the school heads and the boards to decide whether they want to have this. And there's, a, there's an organisation whose name I can't remember now who push it pretty hard in the schools. It's generally primary schools that mm. they push it in. Um, they call it a harvest field. Yeah, well, yes. The religious people indeed. too. Um, and so it's kind of really interesting, right, that um, often for some school parents don't even find out until the children start coming home and start talking about God and perhaps these are, you know, secular families and mm. so they don't, <laughs> they're like, where on earth is this coming from? Um, anyway, so yes, the Secular Education Network have been, um, you know, they've been there for parents to, to, you know, to help advise them, to contact schools and stuff. Um, and what's happened now is that the Ministry of Education have drafted some new guidelines that are apparently going to come into effect next year. Mm -hmm. This is pretty cool. Um, and their recommendation, so it's still only a guideline and what the Secular Education Network would like is for this to actually be law. But anyway, at the moment, the guideline will be that schools um, change to a signed consent opt-in system um, that they provide alternatives uh, for the children who are not opting in. So what happens at the moment is because the school closes, a lot of the complaints from parents have come because basically they find out that when they've pulled their child out, their child has been like picking up rubbish or, do, you know, doing like all the other kids are Like it's doing, almost a punishment. Yeah, exactly. It's a punishment for not doing the Bible classes. Um, so they're saying basically no. precursor to hell. Exactly. So don't do that. Um, and also that these, um, because the these things are run by volunteers, um... You know the the churches all say, "Oh, this is you know, this is so and so from our church." I mean, there's no vetting, right? Uh, no vetting that that yeah, I think you, the minister of education or the or the ministry or the schools could actually say was legitimate vetting. Yeah. And so what they're basically saying is that schools should be providing their own doing their own safety checks of the volunteers. Anyway, so one of the so it's a really it's quite a good article. I mean, it's got some you know they've interviewed they've interviewed people from the. Um, the Secular Education Network, they've interviewed parents who, you know, they've interviewed school people, they've interviewed the Christians. Um, and so it's fairly balanced. Just Christians. Yes. Well, and so this is the point, right? The Secular Education Network are not against the teaching of, uh, they're not against children learning about Christianity. What it should be is a proper class where children are learn comparative religion. Yeah. That's like, and that is, that's that's how it should be, right? That it's not about apostatizing. If you're going to do it at um, all, that's, yeah. But there that. was a really interesting little little um, bit in the, in the article that basically said, so one of the schools that the Secular Education Network have been working quite, uh, been, <laughs> have had issues with, to the extent I think this, this one might be one of the ones that's kind of going, going to court and stuff, um, was a, a school that basically, um, so they've they've done complaints against them. The school then decided to do a um, survey of parents to find out what parents said. Um, they basically said they had lots of positive um, feedback, but they decided so they decided to keep the 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 Bible in schools, but they changed it to an opt-in lunchtime. Uh -huh. So they did change the thing, and here's what it said: it said. Um, 
So it's been run this way for the past year. It's gone well. The number of pupils, though, has dropped from almost the entire school roll of a few hundred to 10 to 15 per week. On a sunny day, some of the kids decide they'd rather go out and play soccer on the school field at lunchtime. I'm like, yes! <laughs> Secular Education there Network, that's a, it's a pretty soft approach from them too. They're wanting an opt-in and things. But yeah. I'm just saying, why would you, in a state school especially, why would you even, even entertain the idea? Yeah. It's yeah. just so problematic in so many ways. Which type of Christianity? Yeah. Which one? And that that seems to be they get their vo their volunteers from wherever, so so the volunteers are all of a different sort too. Um, but no, absolutely. And there are there are a few little like um, this one school in particular said that uh, things got very difficult, you know, once the secular education network got involved and and all this kind of stuff. So I mean, they're, they're not they're not, but they're also they're not difficult people, and they're not being unreasonable. Yeah. And if you're a <laughs> so, Christian out there saying, "Oh, this is terrible. These people are uh, not wanting Jesus taught," well, the deal is okay next week it's islam how are you feeling about that yeah exactly right anyway, so that was a good story but we'd still like a law change yeah <laughs> thank you very much susie <laughs> thank you so much My pleasure. and we will see you again next week yes hurrah thank yes. you ayan hersi ali an outspoken apostate from islam uh, has to travel the world with security details. She was supposed to be visiting New Zealand. Uh, it did get cancelled. I don't think anyone's really been given a satisfying answer about why it was cancelled. It could be a mundane reason. I'll make no assumptions. But ahead of her scheduled interview um, appearance, which didn't happen this year, I did manage to corner her for an interview. And this is it. You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. The word brave has been over, it is overused, but I think if you have to live with death threats, the real threat of being killed and still be outspoken about why, then the brave word, I think, does fit. Ayan Hersi Ali, an apostate from Islam and continues to be outspoken about it. For people that don't know the story behind you, can you take us through, in a potted version, Ayan, what brought you to the position where you are now and why you have to have security detail? 9-11-2001 happened. That was a big event. I was only, uh, I was 31 years old, almost 32. I was working for a think tank in the Netherlands, the Social Democratic Think Tank. And I took the position that what had happened, um, the men who brought down the Twin Towers and who attacked the Pentagon and who were on their way to the White House, that they were driven by a conviction in the Islamist ideology that has its roots in Islam. That's what, where it all started. And uh, by making that observation, I would say I, I belong to a very small minority of people who said, we need to take this means seriously, not based on their life conditions but on their convictions and the people who like bin laden who commissioned and all their followers i was a muslim i came to the conclusion that i did not my conscience would not let me follow blindly in what allah says and what muhammad says so that forced me into this cognitive place where i said okay in that case i'm not a muslim anymore now that makes me an apostate and that means that those who are who, who take the 
obligation to kill the apostates very seriously, um, they, they started to come after me and that put my life in danger. And, and that's in you know very short uh, my path to fame or infamy, depending on who you speak to. These aren't idle threats. They were t are taken very seriously because they've carried it out. Your colleague, Theo Van Gogh. My colleague, Theo Van Gogh. But then since then, so many people have been killed in the name of Islam. People arguing in the name of conviction. And, you know, a lot of my colleagues in the world of think tanks, they say, but these young men, uh, they're seduced by the sensationalism of it all, maybe it's because of their poverty, maybe because it's, they're disenfranchised, they're humiliated in this way or that way. They've got all kinds of explanations for it. But the one explanation they do not want to see is these men are driven by conviction. I've not seen any evidence to make me change my mind about that. At the moment, the liberal left, uh, they wear the badge anyway. And, you know, I suppose, I, I've always considered myself liberal left as well. But there's this big blind spot when it comes to Islam, where uh, I see many people supporting the protection of an ideology, which is a liberal. How has this happened? I have a colleague at the Hoover Institution, uh, Stanford, and his name is Shelby Steele, and he wrote this book, and I think it has a wonderful insight. It's called White Guilt. And he talks about, he's a black man, he talks about how the civil rights movement came to mean something other than what it was about in the relationship between white and black people, where whites, especially men, are always sexist, bigoted, racist, and you name it. And so this, this is not something that Islamists started in the United States and the rest of the free world. The obsession with identity politics, the obsession with this kind of groupthink, the moral relativism, the stupid idea of multiculturalism, this is not started by the Islamists, but they exploit it handsomely. It's often a criticism of those that do criticize Islam as an ideology that you're just getting too freaked out about crazy people on the extreme fringe, towering everybody with the same brush. These are just crazies on the extreme fringe. So why are you so upset? The fringe argument was eclipsed by reality when poll after poll after poll of Muslim communities living in free societies and Muslim-majority countries show that Muslims, majorities of them, some of them 90%, in some countries 80%, say they want to live under Sharia law. We've also seen when Sharia law is applied what it means on the ground for women, for homosexuals, for religious minorities, for Muslim men. So all these attempts at trying to duck the problem, they have been debunked. And now I think it's time that, uh, and, and the last election here in the United States is showing those people who call themselves liberal but have absolutely no understanding of what liberalism is, but it's showing them that their worldview of trying to avoid the problem of Islam until it fixes itself is not working. People uh, also conflate 
Islam with Muslim, the ideology with the people, they conflate Islamophobia and... Race is often brought up, I notice. Last time I looked, Islam wasn't, wasn't a race. How has this happened? <laughs> How did this happen? Again, I think the fault lies with the liberal West. It's a lot of decadence right there. Moral relativism, the idea all cultures are equal. We're not supposed to judge. We're not supposed to discriminate. We can't be biased when we compare two or three or for different cultures and religions, etc. That's that's really a very bad philosophy. Um, now, having said that, I really do want to emphasize that if you are a true liberal and you understand the core of liberalism, which is really about the individual, that you cannot make blanket statements about all Muslims. You have to take Muslims as individuals. Yes. And there are individual Muslims who, first of all, because they have not had the privilege of an education, don't even know what Islam says about anything, okay? They just, they just follow the crowd. There are individual Muslims who have thought things through, and I'm, I'm really heartened by them. They're calling themselves reformists, and they are, they're questioning, they're asking those critical questions that ultimately lead to a reformation and an enlightenment. You have Muslims that, like all other human beings, just want to get on with their lives. They don't want, they're not interested in politics. They don't want to be distracted by that sort of thing. And, uh, and you have to also you know, understand their position. There are millions and millions of Muslims who are too poor uh, to do anything other than simply live day by day. Uh, there are also Muslims that I call the Mecca Muslims. When you ask them about their religion, they will say, look, my prophet said, you, your religion, and me, mine, and so they ignore the the bad stuff about Islam. And then there are the Medina Muslims, those ones who look at the Prophet Muhammad's legacy and who try to copy him only after he goes to Medina. He leaves Mecca, he goes to Medina, he starts all these wars, he dominates, he conquers, he orders armies to do stuff. That's what they want. And those, the Medina Muslims, they are the biggest enemy of liberalism. They are our enemies, and we shouldn't confuse them. So Muslims are very, very, very diverse. The philosophy of Islam itself is not. There's one argument that what you say, there's a danger that it fosters inflammatory outrage, that you give succor to the real loonies on the, on the far right. Is that a worry? It's not a worry to me because what I know of the far right in any country, and I'm talking about only free societies. Um, our intelligence community, our law enforcement, we, 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 we all know the philosophy of the far right. It led to the Second World War. They've been followed everywhere they are. They're infiltrated, heavily infiltrated. We know their agenda. They do not pose a threat the way they posed a threat prior to in the 1930s and the 1940s, prior to the Second World War. Um, you do know, as a white man in New Zealand, when white supremacists talk, you can read between the lines, you know who they are, you know what their worldview is, you also know what it leads to. So I'm not very much worried about white supremacists. Once in a while, they do strike because we're not paying attention. We've had a few attacks here in the United States. These are lone men doing this, but I think we have them under control. When it comes to the Islamist threat and the ideology of radical Islam, which is 
ultra, ultra, ultra right. You couldn't be more right-wing than that, or more extreme, even though they're married to the left in some way, to the far left. What you see is ignorance, and half of the ignorance is willful. People don't want, it's not that they can't know, they don't want to know. And so, that's what I fear most. Yeah. There's an organization tacitly respected in the UK has labeled you an Islamophobe, a dangerous extremist, along with Majid Nawaz. Yeah. The Southern Poverty Law Center here in the US, the ACLU, all of these groups, these organizations in the past set up to promote and advance civil rights have been co-opted by the Islamists. And they are now advancing this willful ignorance. So the ACLU, Southern Poverty Law, the organization you mentioned in the UK, they're not asking any questions about the establishment and advancement of Sharia law in any of these free societies. But they're condemning people like Majid and me. I mean, that is, it just shows you what has happened to these organizations have decayed. Uh, they, they, in America, the ACLU mentions Muslims and Mexicans in one breath. When I talk about willful ignorance, that's what I mean. Mexicans, they come from a nation state, Mexico. They come into the United States mainly to work, even when they're illegal. They do cause some problems, but their problems are very discreet and very well understood because the Mexico-US relationship has been around for a very long time. But they talk about Muslims. Muslims come from about 57 different nations. They are so diverse. They come from all over the world. They are white, they are black, and all the shades in between. So to go around talking about Mexicans and Muslims in one breath is just, it is so shamelessly ignorant and so shamelessly advancing a horrible, horrible ideology. The ACLU has been co-opted. Southern Poverty Law Center has been co-opted. The Democratic Party has been co-opted. It's, it's this sort of thing. It's liberals giving away liberty. Okay, I just mentioned that Majid Nawaz is advocating a reform of Islam, something like what uh, declawed Christianity, and he's copying it. Um, okay, Linda Sarsour, she's the organiser of uh, one of the big protests after Trump was elected, uh, uh, Arab American Association of New York. She's said of you, you don't deserve to be a woman. Uh, I wish I could take their vaginas away. Ayan Hershey Ali is asking for an ass whipping. Linda Sarsour is quite high profile on the left. Was this shocking for you from her? No, it wasn't shocking because she hates me and the other woman is Brigitte Gabriel. Brigitte Gabriel has devoted her life to exposing Sharia law and fighting it. And um, Linda Sarsour hates Brigitte and me because we're against, explicitly against Sharia law. We're women. I think Brigitte is from Egypt originally. I'm from Somalia originally. We know what Sharia law means, especially for women. We fight it. Linda hates that. Linda Sarsou hates that because Linda Sarsou is trying to get everybody to buy into this whole idea that women wear the hijab, you know, the covering, um, that women love Sharia and that nobody is suffering. So she hates us, and, and so she, she uses this hateful language. But what's more interesting, what you're pointing at, is that she has insinuated herself into 
the women's march into feminism and Western feminists are not standing up to her. They're not confronting her with her hypocrisy, with her support of Sharia on the one hand and her sort of hypocritical marching along with them against Donald Trump. Yeah, okay. Some people listening will conflate your points of view with far-right points of view. That happens, doesn't it? It happens all the time, all the time, from the time I started joining this debate until now. And I tell as patiently as I can to everyone who's listening, you cannot put all human conflict into this schema of left and right. Uh, liberal societies have got this and it has worked for them. People on the left about economics, people on the left about social morals, social values. This sort of thing works on the national, you know, Republicans versus Democrats here. But you can't try and squeeze all world problems. The problem of and the rise of radical Islam is something that people on the left and on the right should fight together. It shouldn't be divided, you know, you can't, you can't be on the left or on the right in a liberal society and endorse Sharia unless you're mad. Um, just one other thing, have I got time for another question, Ayan? Yes, yes, I do. Good, good. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll talk to you until Dan comes in and says it's Yay. time to stop. <laughs> okay. The protection of the values of freedom of expression, that's something I want to protect for any society that I want to live in. But there's another side to exactly. this as this is there's another side to this as well that um, I, I think people forget about far too often. There must be so many people within Islamic societies that yes. we should show more solidarity with rather than just assume they're all Exactly. practicing their beloved culture. Exactly. And I will tell you, I'll give you one example. There's this man called Raif Badawi. He's in prison in Saudi Arabia. He had a blog. He's a young man. He had a blog and uh, he was promoting the principles of reason, of secularism. He was pointing out the fact that in Saudi Arabia, a lot of power is concentrated in the hands of the clergy and this man is sentenced to 1,000 lashes. 50 of those have been administered. He's in prison. They might put him to death. His wife is in Canada. She's been asking all of us in free societies to campaign to liberate her husband. And he is, for me, a symbol. I mean, Saudi Arabia is this dark kingdom, right? where all these horrible ideas come from and they advance it with all that oil money. And this is a man there. So the, the seeds of freedom can take root in the minds of people living even in Saudi Arabia who are subjected yeah. to the schools and the institutions of Saudi Arabia. And this man has come and he's a symbol for all the Muslim individuals that we don't, you and I don't know of them, but they are there and they reject this obscurantism. They reject this darkness, this uh, effort to take us all back to the 7th century and it's individuals like that we should be campaigning for. Yeah, we should. He, he, we should. He's the arch enemy of someone like Linda Sarsour because she distracts from him 
and people like him and their effort. You guys are closer to a country called Bangladesh. How many individuals, bloggers there, have been hacked to death by Islamists? That is what these is. People like Linda Sosu, they distract from that. And what is a shame that the ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union, that they are siding with these forces of darkness, with those who are using meat cleavers to shut the people up that they don't agree with. And with those events as uh, clear examples, <laughs> it goes without saying, there is a massive incentive to just yeah. shut up. And, and I think if we want to preserve liberty, we cannot shut up. We must not shut up. We must fight against the far left, the far right, and the Islamists who want to exploit the freedoms and institutions of freedom to destroy it. Ayan Hussi Ali, all strength to your arm. Thank you, and I appreciate it. We'll see you in Auckland. I, I look forward to it. Thank you so much. Bye, and Graham. All the best. Thank you. As stated earlier, uh, the appearance in New Zealand didn't happen. I don't think anyone's really gotten to the bottom of it. Um, we'll make no assumptions. It may just be mundane reasons. And I would kind of hope so. Um, all right, coming up in the next hour, oh, Chris Matthews of the Headless Chickens. He's going to be reading us a poem. You're tuned in. To Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Uh, just an addenda to the Ian Hersey Ali thing. I suppose it might be useful if I spell it for you. A-Y-A-N, next word, H-I-R-S-I, -I. next word, like Muhammad Ali, just A-L-I. You can look her up on YouTube and uh, hear much more about what she's up to around the world. Okay. Uh, new sport and weather coming at you very, very shortly and a heads up that uh, we'll be playing part two of Spoken Word in Music. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. Spoken Word in Music with Grant Smithies. Man, there are some crackers and tonight you'll hear a beauty from Barack Obama's um, Preacher. The words are by Stanley Crouch. The music is by Wynton Marsalis. But the words are by Barack Obama's preacher who uh, kind of embarrassed Barack Obama. I uh, remember when it was uh, released that he'd preached, damn the USA and all that sort of stuff. And Fox News and many Republicans got their knickers in one hell of a twist about that. Actually, Barack Obama, I thought, um, dealt with it very gracefully. He said, I can... He's like family. They don't always say things you agree with, but you can't disown them. All words to that effect. All right, new sport and weather.